Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you in your journey with Christ. For additional resources, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning. We're glad you're with us this morning. What a beautiful day it is to celebrate our country and even more beautiful day to celebrate the greatness of God, and we are grateful to be together. It seems fitting on this 4th of July that I should quote those immortal words. Take me out to the ball game, take me out to the park. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I don't care if we ever get back, right? That's it? Yes. For it's rude, rude, rude for the home team. If they don't win, it's a, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes you're out at the old ball game. Now, there are all kinds of tools we can use today and devices when we travel to translate so that we can communicate. So one guy took those words, and he wanted to check out the accuracy of his device. So he put in those words and and translated them to German, and this is what he got. Execute me to the ball play. Execute me with the masses. Buy me certain ground nuts and cracker stack fusig. I'm not interested if I ever receive back. Let me root, root, root for the main team. If they do not win, it is dishonor. For there are one, two, three impacts on you at the old ball game. (laughs) Something obviously was lost in translation. And there's always the fear of that whenever we're preaching or teaching about Jesus. You know, the danger is that we end up sometimes with a caricature of Jesus rather than the real Jesus and who he is. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, probably haven't, but ever since January when we started studying uh, John's gospel, Jesus has been in every title and we've looked at a facet of him or a role of his or a metaphor of what he does, except for the Art of Neighboring series. The rest of us all about Jesus. So today we come to this Jesus is our high priest, which is hard enough for us to relate to, unless you came out of Catholicism or Episcopalianism, something like that, where you're used to that terminology. Uh, for the rest of us, it's a, it's a foreign term. And yet, in our spiritual heritage, it's a very significant role that was played by those in the Old Testament um, that that were used by God. Now, when we come to John 17, as, as we approach it today, we come to the real Lord's Prayer. The other prayer that starts, our Father who art in heaven, is, it would be better called the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus gives us that as a model for prayer when the disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Here, it's just a few hours before Jesus goes to the cross to die for your sins and mine. And this has been called by commentators and scholars for a long time, his great high priestly prayer. Because before the Father, he's lifting up his disciples that they'll be strong to the end. And he's, he's lifting up us, future believers, who would, who would put their faith and trust in Christ, that we would be who we're called to be. And so, th- therefore, you know, th- this, it's called the high priestly prayer also because the high priest had a lot of responsibilities in the Old Testament, but his primary responsibility was go into the Holy of Holies at the, at the center of the, 
the primary place in the tabernacle in the Old Testament and then in the temple when it was built. And on one day a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in there after sacrificing an animal and take a branch, a hyssop branch, dip it in the blood, go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. By, that, by doing so, he was making atonement for his own sins and also with sins of Israel. Jesus has accomplished the ultimate work of the high priest. And that's why this prayer is called the high priestly prayer because he goes to the Father on our behalf and takes us and lifts us up. Instead of studying the prayer itself today, I want to tell you why Jesus is qualified as the perfect high priest that we need. First of all, he's a perfect high priest because of his deep relationship with the Father. Jesus prays as one who's had a relationship with the Father before the earth began. He says in verse 5, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. When Jesus came, he came as the pre-existent one. He didn't start appearing when he was an embryo. He always has existed. I have to keep saying that and repeating it. Any preacher does because it's easy to lose our grounding. And we don't want to forget the uniqueness of Jesus. And so we don't always know how to pray. But, but Jesus always knew how to pray and what to pray. I struggle in my prayer. I struggle in knowing how to pray for a certain situation or condition. The Holy Spirit there is as a, a ministry to take our groanings to the Father. Romans, 8, uh, Romans chapter 8 says, but Jesus always knows because he's one with the Father. You know, uh, Bill Glass played for the NFL for about 11 years, and he tells about his son who played football, and by the time he was a junior in high school, he was an all-American in football, but he he hurt his knee, and it was just a real dark time uh, when that happened, and so Bill came home one day and was going to check on his son, and it was coming up the steps uh, to where his son was, he heard his son crying in his room, and he paused, and he thought, you know, what am I going to say? How can I encourage him? And stopping, he said, I'll just say, uh, look, Josh, um, we're going we're gonna to pray about this, and we're going to let God lead us through this. It's going to be okay. And so Bill goes into his son's room. He approaches the bed. He's got tears in his eyes himself. His son notices his, his father's tears, and, and to encourage him, he said, look, Dad, you know, I know the Lord's going to lead us through this. You know, it's going to be okay. And ended up, the son said the same thing the father was going to say to the son. And that's what we have here. And you've had that probably in close relationships you have, either in marriage or in a close friend, when you start thinking alike, that, 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 that you, you, you have the same ideas come to mind sort of at the same time, and you're kind of stunned by that? Well, Jesus knew that with the Father all the time. Something like that is happening in John 17. We have a relationship that's so intimate that, that the petition poured forth was the Father's desire as well. Now, that's what we're going for in our prayer life. Not that our stuff gets answered. That's okay to take to the Father But the more we're able to pray the scriptures and know the scriptures, the more we know we're praying in line with what the Father desires for us. That's why why the Bible is such a great tool even for our prayer life. Jesus is also the perfect high priest because he perfectly lived. I said earlier, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he went in to make make atonement for his own sins and for the sins of the people as well. 
And of course, there's no need for Jesus to pray in this prayer, Father, forgive me. Because there was nothing to forgive. He was the sinless son of God. So back in Exodus 12, if you're new to the scripture, is that God was freeing his people from 400 years of slavery. And so he told the, 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 the Hebrew people to take a, a lamb and to slay it, take the blood, put it on your doorposts. And when the death angel would come to the Egyptians because of their treatment, their bad and evil treatment of the Hebrew people, that death angel would pass over their doorway. And so death didn't come to the Jewish households. So when Jesus came, John calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so this Lamb of God who was slain was the perfect Son of God. He never sinned. In this worship service, in our private prayers, in our communion service, and all our duties, we go before God totally clean ourselves because he's made that possible. He made atonement for us on the cross. There's no need for a high priest after that or any priest at all. In fact, one of the great New Testament teachings is that we are priesthood of all believers under one high priest, Jesus Christ. And we approach him clean today. No matter what your week look like, if your faith is intact in Jesus Christ and you've missed the target this week, and all of us have, we all have. We, we, go before, we go on behalf. He has already gone on behalf of us. And we can come to the Father clean today. You know, uh, among recovering addicts, one of their common questions is, Hey, how long have you been clean? I like that question. Sometimes we say, So how long have you been a follower of Jesus? How long have you been a Christian? Wouldn't it be cool if we started saying, How long have you been clean? Because when we are baptized into Christ, we are born again. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We, we become united with him. Now that is to inspire us to further engage Jesus. Because why should he treat us this way? Why should he cleanse us in such a way? He has through and through. No other high priest in, in Jewish history was qualified to do this. He had to keep making sacrifices year after year after year. Not Jesus. Once for all time. One high priest. Third, Jesus is the perfect high priest because he fully obeyed. Now that sounds redundant. I already said, I already said that he was, he was sinless. Well, although it does sound redundant, I'm saying a little something a little different because it's, you you can do nothing at all and be innocent of a sin done, but you can't be sinless because of what's undone. It's one thing to keep from sin. It's another thing when we keep from doing what we're commanded to do. And so that's sin as well. When Jesus came, he fully obeyed as well as lived a perfect life. Verse 4 says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. In order for us to be where he is, that's what he came to do, so that we could be where he is and to walk with him and know life today, he had to finish the work God gave him to do. Now, there's never been one day in my life when I put my head on my pillow at night and said, you know, God, I did everything you wanted me to do today. Never. In fact, in my life, it seems like I perseverate more on the thou shalt nots than the thou shalts. Are you like that? I'm more concerned sometimes with refraining from sinning rather than fully obeying. Jesus did both. And I don't have a choice. 
nor do you if you're a child of God. We are equally concerned with both things, both aspects of being a disciple, to stay away from and to also cling to whatever that is. And I think a lot of that comes by the power of our prayer and the rea- that, that leads to the reality of our obedience. I read this prayer that was a satire of our prayers, how lightly we treat our sin. Benevolent and easygoing parent. Well, that's off to a good start, right? We have occasionally had some minor errors of judgment, but they're not really our fault. Due to forces beyond our control, we have sometimes failed to act in accordance with our own best interests. Under the circumstances, we did the best we could. We are glad to say that we're doing okay, perhaps slightly above average. Be your own sweet self with those who know they are not perfect. Grant us that we may continue to live a harmless and happy life and keep our self-respect. And we ask all these things according to the unlimited tolerances which we have a right to expect from you. Amen. Is your prayer as lame as that? God, you know, I'm only human. You ever prayed that? That's that prayer. God, you know I can't be perfect. Nobody is. That's that prayer. God, you, all, you say you're always forgiving, so keep doing it, you know. And, and forgetting the horrendous sacrifice that was paid and taking it too lightly. I wonder how differently my life would look if I were more obedient and less tolerant of my own sin. Or if I cared as much about obeying as I do disobeying. For Jesus, our great high priest, he perfectly obeyed. Perfectly obeyed. And, and was perfect and, and perfectly sinless. Jesus is also the perfect high priest because he vibrantly loves Verse 26 says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. We sing of amazing love. And here it is in this verse. And as the very Lamb of God, he is facing the most cruel, heinous death anyone could face. But but in our previous studies, when we've talked about this kind of thing, Jesus' suffering, we've always acknowledged that the worst suffering was not by the spikes in his hands and feet and the crown of thorns on his head, but in the absolute darkness he was under from 12 noon until 3 p.m. on that horrendous Friday we call good because of what happened on our behalf. Now, I know there are times when we go through pain, when we go through loss, we go through times, seasons of prayer, when we're, we're tempted to think, God, are you there? We feel like, God, are you hearing me? Do you care about my life? And we cry out with Jesus, my God, my God, have you forsaken me? Maybe you feel that way today. But the thing that keeps bringing us back is what the scripture says. I'm with you always, even in the end of the age. We keep singing and worshiping him because he's our creator, our Lord. No one has loved us like this. We stay in community. We stay connected to one another. We stay in the word of God because that's where we find our hope for life. That's where we are reminded all the time that God is a great God. He loves us to the nth degree. He has shown it by the extent of his love. When Jesus cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew it. He knew utter forsakenness. No hope in the darkness because your sins and mine 
were upon him. He's the only one that's experienced it that way. In Acts chapter 7, you remember Stephen was martyred for his faith. And as he was being stoned to death, he prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Now, now, brothers and sisters, this is a challenge for us, isn't it? To keep the forgiveness gene in us intact. We are new creatures in Christ. And we have got to learn to love people to Jesus. We have to first love them, period. Before we ever get around to Jesus. We have to love them. When my son Justin was in prison, he, you know, from time to time, groups would come in and uh, sing or bring a meal to them. I mean, the prisoners had to sign up to go. And he said, you know, it's unbelievable. A lot of the guys just didn't care about going. Most of the guys didn't go. But you signed up to go. And he said these groups would come in and, and you know, they say God loves us. And that was good to hear. But he said, you know, there was one group that came in that made all the difference. They came in. They served us. They did some singing, had devotion. But then they said, you know, God loves you and we love you too. He said, that struck me in a way and lifted that group above all the other groups. Nobody else said that. I knew that. Just have somebody say to you in prison, we love you. It was rare. Do you realize that we live in a world like that? We live in a nation like that. We live in a ministry area like that where people don't even know human love much. They keep... They stay on their news apps. They keep watching the news or reading the news. And all they have is hatred and dissension and being, being, people being torn apart. Jesus came to love us. Church, we've got to learn to do that. We've got to learn to simply love people well. So that when the occasion rises for us to talk about Jesus, the door has already been opened. That, that we have demonstrated that we love them. We cannot react to the world like they react to us. We can't do that. We're not permitted. Well, so what? What, what, what do we learn from this? What, do we ta- what are the takeaways? Well, the takeaways, well, the takeaways, I'm going to take you to Hebrews chapters 2 and 4. Uh, the Hebrew writer, we don't know who the author is of the book of letter of Hebrews in the New Testament. But he's writing to some Hebrew believers in Jesus who, because of persecution, are being threatened to go back to their legal system, to go back to the law, rather than live under this canopy of grace. And so Hebrews 2 says, For this reason he had to be made like them, that is Jesus, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In chapter 4 it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is able, unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we do have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So because Jesus is a great high priest, take these three things with you. First of all, we can persevere when we face troubles. We can persevere. You can. You might be taken to the breaking point someday. He says, let us hold firmly 
to the faith we profess. Now, friends, it takes a lot of strength and energy to keep holding on. And you can't do it on one hour a week. You cannot do that. We have to be in the Word every day. We have to be in prayer every day. We have to stay in community with people that believe in us, who feed us, who feed, breathe life into us by their own faith. You have to have that. Otherwise, you're going to be milk toast. And when you get to be milk toast, you're on your way down. That's just the way it is. And it won't take much to take you under. And listen, friends, um, those of us who hold on firmly, increasingly, we are going to be hated by the world. We are going to be called narrow-minded. We're going to be called bigots. Uh, we are going to be um, disenfranchised. We're going to be called intolerant. Uh, we do hate sin, but never people. And our world, our culture, is trying to rip our convictions away from us, and it is happening little by little. And we are dropping our guard against the truth of God. And we dare not do that. Hold firmly to what the scriptures teach. And while we're doing that, love every person you know to the nth degree as well as you can. And don't retaliate. Second, we can resist any temptation. 2.18 says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are, tempt, who are being tempted. Yeah, I, I've had a friend in this uh, church who has served, I don't want to say who he is because I don't know if he's going to go back to it. He's an undercover cop, and it, it, his life is pretty interesting. And you know, undercover cops have to be careful because they can cross the line into entrapment. They're not allowed to entrap people. <laughs> you know, they, they can be in the setting, and they can witness the crime, but, but they can't set somebody up and I, I'm sure that's a, a hard balance to come to sometimes. Um, sadly, there are people who see God that way. They see him as a heavenly cop entrapping in, in us. You know, because like some, for some reason, he wants to do us in. That's ridiculous. He doesn't, do, he doesn't set us up. He's there to rescue us. Jesus, when he was in the wilderness of temptation, he was bombarded by the evil one, tempting him. And there's three great categories of sin, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life that John mentions later. We'll talk about that later when we get to his letters. But he's bombarded. And how does he defend himself? By quoting scripture. Again, we get in the word of God, and that's what steals us up to fight against the wiles of the evil one. Be in the word. When you're tempted, cry out to Jesus, get in his word, and use it as the sword of the spirit against the enemy. Third, we can approach God's throne with confidence. See, the problem is the evil one gets his foot in the door, and then we sin, and we're guilty, and then what do we do? We don't feel like praying because we feel guilty, and so we draw back. Well, all of us have missed the target this week, either in obedience or disobedience, and when that happens, we can grow weaker instead of stronger. And look, we've got to remember there's a high priest that has sacrificed for us. So we keep coming back in confidence, knowing the blood has been shed for us. And there's somebody who, who, who loves us. Verse, the verse uh, 4.16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and fry, find grace to help us in our time of need. This phrase, throne of grace, that's an octi, oxymoron in the ancient world. There were no thrones of grace. 
there are only thrones of judgment and condemnation. If you approach the king, you are putting your life on the line. If he didn't raise his scepter, I mean, you're killed on the spot. Now, does our God, does our, does our Savior have, a, have a, a throne of judgment? Absolutely. Revelation teaches about a throne of judgment. But he also teaches about a throne of grace. That after we recognize, again before the throne, how worthy we are of death, our names by the blood of Jesus will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And we will go on to our eternal home with him. And what a great day that will be. Ray Stedman, you know, talks about this so well. He, before I say that, you know, we, we go everywhere. Except those places where it says, authorized personnel only. There, there are signs of restrictions everywhere. I can't walk in to see President Biden. I can't go see Queen Elizabeth. I, I can't walk in to see Pope Francis. There are all kinds of layers to get to people like that. But you know, today, we're right before the Father's throne. When you pray your prayer, you are right before the throne of God, His eternal grace. Jesus made that possible. Ray Stedman writes, The throne of grace is not in remote space. It is in the right in the heart of a believer in whom Jesus Christ dwells. To come to the throne of grace does not mean to address an appeal across the reaches of space to some distant point in heaven. It means to reckon upon the one who indwells us. The throne of grace is that close to us, that available to us. I tell you, there's energy in that truth. Ron Dunn tells about going to the carnival, and so he buys this whole string of tickets for his little boy to ride rides. So he tear off a few and send him off, and, and he was waiting, and this kid runs up to him, and he puts his hand out, I need, I need five. And Ron looked at the kid and said, I don't know you. And then Ron's little boy ran up and said, oh, that's my new friend, Dad. I, I told him if, you, if he came to my dad that he'd give you some. And Ron said, well, because he's your friend, I'll give him some. That's exactly the picture we have. You know, we have been called friends of God because of Jesus Christ. We have been called children of God because of Christ. We have been called joint heirs with Jesus. We've been, Jesus looks at us today. He calls us his family. How, how rich is that? That's because He's our high priest. We often say it's not, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And we're glad to know the scripture. But we're glad to know the scripture because it's taught us who to know and how to know him better. And when you know him well as your high priest, you can persevere, you can overcome, and you can have confidence. Jesus is our great high priest. Teach us again, our Father, the power of Jesus. All power, honor, and glory has been given to him. He is seated at your own right hand, and the whole earth is his footstool. And today, the Hebrew writer also says he is interceding for us. Thank you. 
before your throne. Thank you for providing him for us, Father, so you, we can go right into the Holy of Holies. Our, our case has been pled and our mediator has acted. And therefore, we get to be clothed in purity and whiteness today. Thank you so much for that. The greatest gift. And so this week, Father, I pray we will live accordingly in triumph and victory, in overcoming and persevering with great confidence because of our brother Jesus, our Savior Jesus, our Lord Jesus, our High Priest Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening today. It's our desire to help you grow as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church, would like to attend an online service, or plan an in-person visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you'd like to receive our podcast directly to your device, we encourage you to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.